Well, if you'll please uh, take a copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find that on page 1245. Uh, we're finishing our series on Ephesians this morning. Um, I hope you've been blessed by it just as much as I have. It's been a, a great study. Next week, we'll be looking at the Transfiguration, which is an uh, amazing glimpse into the divinity of Christ. And then we'll have a sermon on um, thankful hearts as we go into Thanksgiving. Then we'll be looking at an Advent, which starts the very first Sunday of December at the birth narrative that Matthew gives us. Uh, and you know, my first sermon on, in that series is going to be on the genealogy of Jesus. You know, so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. The part you, you glaze over when you read and you skip over when you're completing your series of, you know, Bible study. There's actually an amazing story in there. Uh, the surprising people that are in Jesus' genealogy. It gives us hope to us all. But today, we finish up, Lord willing, with Ephesians. And so, let me pray before we begin. Lord Jesus, we need you. Every hour we need you, and this hour we need you. As we come to your word by your spirit, help us. Help the preacher and hearer alike. It's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we ask it. Amen. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10, going through the end of the chapter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the, uh, a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to, uh, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. You know, one of the greatest blessings we have in this country is that we live at a time of peace. Now, surely we have soldiers and sailors and airmen, marines and coast guardmen all over the world in, in, in minor fights, and we pray for them. But overarching, we aren't in a, a major war. Praise be to God for that. Um, but combined with a good economy, 
and a high standard living, uh, really the highest we've ever had for most Americans, we can be lulled into a sense of thinking that all is at rest, and all is good, and it's all okay. The reality is that if we are Christians, we are engaged each and every day in battle, for there rages around us spiritual warfare. Satan and his minions are enemies, and they are quite content for us to think that everything is at rest and everything is at peace. The reality is found in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, this is not saying we don't wrestle. It's just saying we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in spiritual battle every day. If we are breathing, we are in battle. The question then this morning is, are you ready to do battle? Are you setting yourself up for success or failure? Will you be prepared when fierce temptation comes along with trials and tribulations? So God tells us to prepare, to get ready. So we pick up where Mark left us off in verse 13 last week. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. My first point here is, um, is an important one. and is that we must be intentional about getting ready. We must be intentional about battling temptation and battling the evil one. Why? Because the evil one is intentional in his attacks. He is dedicated to his mission, relentless in his efforts, and my friends, he only plays dirty. What does it mean to be in his sights as a Christian? It means that he wants you to fail and fall. He wants you to fail morally, to fall into sin, to doubt God's love for you, to doubt God's promises to you, to accuse you of past sins. He wants you to doubt God's love for you and your security in him. He wants you to attack you personally, but he also wants to attack God's people, the church, our church. And it's not a matter of if we're going to be under attack or even when, but a matter of now. You know, it's always when we think that we're safe that we're the most vulnerable. Haven't you found that to be true? We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning, and, and someone talked about how, you know, when things are going poorly, we run to the Lord fiercely, and we're armored up, and we're ready to go, and then when things go well, we think, oh, I've got this thing. And that's when we get in a lot of trouble. Did you know the beginning of the Second World War, the Germans and the Russians actually signed a, an agreement that they wouldn't attack each other? They, they weren't friends, but nor were they enemies. Russia felt safe. The, the problem is that Hitler was a liar. He had always intended to attack the Russians and to take much of their land for what he called Lebensraum, or living space for the ethnic Germans. Russia thought it was safe, though, even though there were three million soldiers along their border with Germany. It was to be the largest military invasion of all of history, but Russia felt safe. 
They felt safe even though the British and American ambassadors had told Stalin they're about to attack you. But Russia felt safe. Russia felt safe even though the Russian intelligence was telling Stalin the Germans are about to attack us. Guess what happened? They felt safe and the Germans attacked. And within a month or two, they were at the gates of Moscow. It is often when we feel the safest that we are in the most danger. When is it that you feel safe from Satan's attack? Because that's generally when he's going to hit you. When we let our guard down at work and home, when we're flipping through the channels after a long day at work, when we're clicking on links on our phones, when we're hearing gossip from our close friends, when our friends at school whom we trust say, hey, it's okay, let's just do this. When do you feel safe? Because battle may soon commence there. And so we must be intentional about fighting temptation and the evil one. So Paul tells us to prepare. That having done all, that is having done all to prepare, having put on the full armor of God, we are to stand firm. But preparation makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? You know, if you were to come and push me now, I would fall back. But if if I just move my right foot back about a foot, and now you push me, it's a lot harder to knock me down. What difference do you think it would have made if we really believed that the Japanese were going to attack us on December 7th? Preparation would have changed everything, right? The ships wouldn't have been in the harbor. The planes would not have been in the middle of the airfield to protect them from sabotage, making it really easy to shoot them all in one big go. Our sailors would not have been asleep at 7.48 on a Sunday morning. Preparation means everything. What if we're prepared when Satan comes our way and the the temptation is fierce? We'll be in a lot better shape, right? And so the picture that Paul paints here is of a Roman soldier ready for battle. But note that it's a defensive stance. Mark made this really clear last week. We are told to withstand the attacks of the evil one, not to charge. Although elsewhere we find out that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church is on the offensive. But for purposes of this metaphor, the ground has already been been conquered by our risen Savior. And now we are standing on conquered ground. And now the evil one is coming at us with desperate counterattacks coming at us as a foe who has been defeated. The power of sin has been dealt with in our life. The guilt of sin has been dealt with in our lives. And now Satan, the father of lies, comes at us hard and fast. Are we going to be ready? Is it, a, it is a defensive stance, but it is an aggressive stance. It is in a prepared, intentional stance. Because, my friends, it's coming. So the first point is to be intentional. The second is to armor up. How are we supposed to get ready? Paul goes through seven elements of our spiritual warfare, six of which are tied to the elements of the armor system of the Roman hoplite soldier. The first element is the belt of truth. You know, I couldn't find my normal belt this morning. And so I put on one that it fits on the last notch, right? But really, I've gained a little weight, and so my belt really is a fashion accessory. Uh, It doesn't actually hold up my pants. I got that one covered. But for the Roman soldier, 
The belt was not a fashion accessory. It was a necessity because it held the breastplate in place and it held the only, defense, uh, only offensive weapon we will see in this text, and that is the sword. Without the belt, the soldier was in a lot of trouble. So here we have the belt of truth. What, what does that mean? What does it refer to? Well, it could refer to several things. One, it could refer to the gospel, the truthfulness of the gospel, that salvation is for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. But I think in this context, it's referring to God's call upon our lives to tell the truth and to believe the truth. This is an ethical call. You know, there's a close connection to, between our commitment to the truth and our fight against sin. Let me say that again. There's a close connection between our commitment to the truth and our fight against sin. Think about it. In order to fight sin and temptation, we first have to truthfully acknowledge and identify it. And yet so often we try to lie to ourselves, justify to ourselves our actions. It's not going to matter just this one time. It really is okay. God doesn't really care. There's a close connection between our commitment to telling the truth to God, to our friends, to our spouses, and ultimately to us, to ourselves, and our fight against sin. You know, one of the hallmarks of addictive behavior is lying. And if we are truthful with, our, with ourselves, with our God, with our spouses about the problems and temptations we face when we share the truthfulness of our temptations and the fact that we really, really do need help, the gospel fuels victory over sin. Satan wants you to feel isolated. He's going to tell you the lie that you're alone. When we read in 1 Corinthians 10 that, that, that no temptation has come upon you that is not common to man. You're not the only one fighting. So fight with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ultimately, the Bible is the source of all truth when it comes to our sin. And it's like radar, right? It identifies our enemies before they come to us. The second element is the breastplate of righteousness. For the Roman soldier, the breastplate was more than just a piece of sheet metal that you wore on your front. It was molded and conformed to your body, and it covered from the neck to the waist, tied into the belt. And it was not just the front, it was also the back. It was like a shell. And then on top of that, you had pieces that went over your shoulders, over those uh, vulnerable connections. And so really the entire upper torso of the Roman soldier was covered in a very serious armor system. And here we have what Paul calls the breastplate of righteousness, something that must give us defensive um, qualities, must give us protection from the wiles of the evil one. The question is, whose righteousness is this? There, there are two options here. The first it is, is Christ's righteousness. You know, when we become believers, when we turn to Christ in salvation and are converted in justification, something happens. It's called the double imputation. If you don't know that word, that's okay. It means that we get Christ's righteousness and He gets our sin. We get the record of all that Christ has done that is good and holy and just and fully upholding God's law, and it is credited to our account. And so when the evil one comes at us and says, God doesn't really love you, I got my breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Yes, he does. I'm robed in his righteousness. If they only knew what you've done, I'm sorry. 
I've been robed in Christ's righteousness. But it could also refer to our righteousness. Now, we have none before God in a saving manner, but we are called to live righteous lives. You know, it turns out that when we obey God's law, things just go better, don't they? It saves us a lot of drama, our families a lot of drama, and a lot of hurt, and it brings glory to God. But how can we say that we are fighting sin and armoring up with the breastplate of righteousness, the armor of God, as we fight sin and temptation, if we are living in open and unrepentant sin? I cannot be fighting sin if I'm not fighting sin. It's like letting the enemy in over here while you fight over there. Satan's very happy to get you where you're vulnerable and you stand strong on some big, big topics. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness. The third element's a little awkward. Uh, verse 15, it's, it, it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on here. Uh, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Well, shoes of our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, footwear really matters, right? If you've ever bought cheap shoes, I bought cheap shoes a couple years ago, and about a month in, I realized my whole legs were hurting. You know, when, uh, when Germany invaded uh, Russia, uh, Hitler would not let his generals prepare for winter, even though it was coming. Three million people were heading into Russia. He wouldn't even let them uh, buy and, and stock up on the winter boots they would need because he said it would be defeatist. Well, do you know what happened? Uh, the German army came across the most effective Russian generals who have ever lived, Generals January and General February. And do you know that the Germans were cutting off the legs off of Russian corpses to get their boots just so they would have something to wear. In fact, in some battles, more Germans died of exposure and frostbite than they did of Russian arms. Footwear's important. The Roman footwear that's referenced here actually had metal spikes in them. And, uh, and some ancient historians actually said the reason why the Romans won some of their battles was because of their shoes. So it's an important piece of equipment. What's going on here? What, what are our shoes? Well, it's the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. What's going on? Uh, most commentators say that what's going on here is the fact that when we are not at peace with God, as believers in Christ, we are at peace with God on a big picture level, but when we harbor sin in our hearts and when we pursue things in our lives, our consciences get heavy and it is like a millstone around our necks and we cannot properly fight against temptation. Have you ever had unconfessed sin in your life? It's a terrible thing. God makes you miserable. And like a Roman soldier with a big pack on his back, just full of rocks, you just can't move very fast. But when we are at peace with God and with each other, when we have kept short accounts one with the other and experienced ultimately peace with God through salvation, then we are enabled to fight effectively. I'm reminded of Hebrews where it tells us to lay aside every sin that clings so closely. I think that's related here. The shield of faith is next. Um, and the Roman shield was not for decoration. It was an expensive affair. And it was big. 
It was four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. It was made out of laminated wood and then covered on, with metal in certain parts of it that would protect where your arm was when you held it. It was covered with leather and then dipped in water before you went into battle. If you held it, it would cover your shoulders down to below your knees, and then if you crouched behind it, it could completely hide you from the flaming darts of your enemy. And when those flaming darts hit the leather that had been soaked in water, they would extinguish the firebrands. And that's the picture that's going on here. What we see Paul say this, he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Satan plays dirty. His tips are, his, his barbs are tipped with poison and they're set on fire to cause as much trouble as possible. And he's going to attack us. He's going to try to shoot us between our armor where we have vulnerable spots. But we have the shield of faith. You know, it takes, it takes courage to fight temptation, doesn't it? It takes courage to live the Christian life. To say no to people, to say yes to the Lord in the face of, of persecution and ridicule. The fight we face every day is fiercer than that that were fought on the beaches of D-Day, with much more at stake. But here's the thing, we're not the ones doing the fighting. The shield is a defensive weapon. We shield behind our Lord and our God. He is a shield about us. Christ has won the victory. We stand in the strength of his might. And we lay hold of his strength through abiding trust in the great promises that he has given to us. I know that temptation seems impossible to fight, but God is stronger. I know that the wrong seems often right, but God is stronger. I know that the desire for sin can feel like a need, but God is stronger. And so we trust in him. The one whom Psalm 28 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. During the Second World War, not every helmet was created equal. The Germans had the best. In fact, in many ways, it was modeled after the Roman helmet. And it doesn't just cover the very top of the head. It came down over the ears and covered the top of the neck, offering a lot of protection. Helmets are important because they protect the most important part of the body. You can fight without an arm. It has been done. But you cannot fight without a head. And so... Salvation is reserved for the most important part of this armor system. That we have received the helmet of salvation from the Lord our God. And with Christ's salvation protecting us, we can never be snatched away from God. Even when we fall in the battlefield of spiritual temptation, our helmet is still stuck to our heads with an everlasting glue. For we belong to God's people, the army of the Lord, priests of the Most High, and he must win the battle. For he has already defeated Satan, and he holds the keys of death in Hades. The helmet of salvation protects you from Satan being able to pluck you away from God's hand. It cannot be done. And that's good news, especially when we fall and fail, isn't it? Praise be to God. And finally, we get to the last piece, or the only offensive piece of weaponry, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
You know, there are lots of different types of swords. Have you seen that show online? Uh, I mean, on um, it's a History Channel, Forged in Fire. That's a fun show where they make swords and they go and, uh, and they slice pigs in half, dead pigs. I don't, you know, I'm not for slicing live pigs in half. Uh, it's a pretty amazing show, and, and they, but it's amazing there are all these different kinds of swords. Well, there are different swords in the Roman army too, and this one was a particular one. It's, it's not as long as uh, Braveheart's, you know, big one, broadsword, but it's longer than a dagger. It's a short sword. Mark pointed out to me this week, he's done a lot of work on this text, and he said, you know, this, the, the importance here is because spiritual warfare is a personal thing, and it's dirty, and it's up close and personal. You have to get close. The evil one's coming. But know that this, the only offensive weapon, is not one that we wield and do all the work. It is the one that Christ does the work. It is the sword of the Spirit. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So how do we use the Bible as an offensive weapon? The first thing to realize is that the Roman soldiers, when they used their short swords, it is because they had done a lot of practice. They didn't just take up a sword out of the armory and go into fight, into battle, having never held it before. They actually knew their weapon. They knew the nicks and the crannies and, and the weight of it. They knew how it felt. And if they picked it up and it felt different, they would have known immediately that it wasn't their sword. They knew it well through use. If we're going to use the Word of God as an offensive weapon, or rather in our defense, we must know it and know it well and train in it. Because when Satan came at Jesus in the wilderness, do you remember what he did? He used the Word of God. He who himself was God, he used the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And guess what? Satan fled. Resist him and he will flee, James tells us. Well, finally, there is another element that is crucial to our fight against sin and temptation, and that's prayer. Paul doesn't have a military metaphor for it here in verse 18. But we all know that from experience that a fight without prayer is to fight without having a prayer. Right? If we don't pray, we don't have a prayer. We see this in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. Don't you know that the immediate and urgent prayer of someone who is struggling with temptation, that which they want is right in front of them, is help me, Lord. We don't have time for long prayers in those times, right? Help me, Lord. And He will help you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's good news. Point one was we must be intentional. Point two, we must armor up with the full armor of God. Point three, very quickly, is to keep alert with all perseverance. There can be long days in our fight with temptation and spiritual warfare, can't there? We may ask, will will, will it ever end? Is there victory to be found? And though the battle seems long, we cannot let our guards down even for a second. 
This word keep alert actually means to lose sleep. It is what a guard does at night when he guards his buddies from the enemy. We must be willing to go the extra mile, to lose sleep, to fight hard, to shed blood that we might fight against the evil one. My friends, we don't do this alone. Remember, this is a defensive stance, guarding ground that has already been won by another. And how did this happen? How do we end up for soldiers as the king? How did we end up as soldiers for the king? We used to be fighting on the other side. We used to be dead in our trespasses and sins. Indeed, before, if we had died, we would have gone to hell to receive God's just punishment for our sins. But Christ loved lost sinners like you and me fighting for the other side. And so the second person of the Trinity, God himself, took on flesh. He was born in a little town called Bethlehem. And he lived the perfect life of righteousness that we could not do. And he proclaimed the gospel that if we believed in him, we might not perish but have everlasting life. And then he went and purchased that life for us by dying as a sacrifice on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins. And though his body was limp when they took it down off the cross on that Good Friday afternoon, it was very much alive that next Sunday morning. God raised Jesus from the dead, thereby defeating death for us. And now he calls all who are lost to come to him and receive salvation. Because our king is coming again as a conquering general, as a conquering hero with the sound of the archangel and the trumpet of God and with the cry of command. And for those who have been trusted in Christ, who have been saved by the blood of the lamb, we will live forever with God. No longer at war, but at peace. Come, King Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. Therefore, Lord, help us to be intentional about fighting temptation and spiritual warfare. Help us, Lord, as we put on the whole armor of God to trust in your strength and your might. Help us then to be alert even for the day of your return. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand and sing verses 1 and 3 of 478, Soldiers of Christ Arise. At the end of the hymn, if you will be seated just for a second, we have one final announcement. Let's stand and sing 478, Soldiers of Christ Arise, verses 1 and 3.
please be seated just for a second. Well, about, say, 90.